0: Today's message is from our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. So thinking about new, thinking about a new year, a new decade, and how exciting that is, I want to talk about all things new, and I want to talk about a whole new clarity. Everybody say clarity? So a whole new clarity, and and all the new that comes, and when you talk about things Especially having to do with Christ. There's a lot of new things that we have having to do with Christ that we hold dear. That we have uh, so many precious truths in the body of Christ of believers. And some of these truths are connected to the idea. Most of our truths are connected to the idea of new. Everybody say new. And so what, that's what we're going to talk about this morning is a whole new clarity. So the first thing that I'm going to kind of address that we hold dear Uh, Because of Jesus, because there's a new priesthood, because there's a new priest, because uh, of a new high priest, which is Jesus Christ, who by the power of an indestructible life. Now, I want you to get this. Think about this. By the power of an indestructible life has brought to us an eternal covenant. Isn't that powerful? An eternal covenant, something that is so big that you can't even mess it up. Isn't that something to celebrate? That's awesome. And we have something so big. We have a new contract, a new way, a new connectedness, a new way to approach, a new way to enjoy God that no one ever in the history of mankind before the cross ever, ever had. Isn't that powerful? Think about that. This is a big deal. That's why at the exchange, we shout. We like to shout because we have an understanding of what that new connectedness means. We shout from the rooftops and we celebrate the new covenant. And you hear us say this all the time, new covenant, new covenant, new covenant. I was thinking about when I get old, (laughs) er, I know I got some, I got some smart dogs maybe that might catch me on that one, but when I get older, um, I was thinking about what I want people to say about me. And I'm hoping that one of the things I say is that old Brooks guy, man, JB, he, he was like a broken record. He got onto this new covenant thing, and that's all he wanted to talk about. Because it's exciting to me when, I, when you fully understand what Jesus did when he ushered in and inaugurated the new covenant. That was a big deal. And, and man, he wanted to, that Brooks guy, he wanted to talk about it over and over and over and over and over again. Listen, we're going to be talking about it in heaven. Okay? We're not going to get to the pearly gates and all of a sudden have all knowledge. We're still going to be growing in the grace of God and in our knowledge of who he is, even beyond those pearly gates. And it's never, 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 never going to be boring. Amen? It's never going to be boring. So if you're bored right now in your faith, let me tell you something. When you begin to dig into what Jesus did, it's never boring. There is nothing boring about Jesus. Oh, one more time. There's nothing boring about Jesus. Now, if you have, if you get a little bored, uh, if you find religion boring, I'm right there with you. Okay. <laughs> I find religion uh, nauseating at times. Okay. And, and that really offended you if you're religious. But if you're not religious, that didn't offend you. But I find just religion, when there's, there's times when you listen to someone who's, inundated, uh, who's uh, inundated. That's the word I was looking for. With this religious tone and this religious, you know, I'm better than you, uh, I'm looking down on you kind of spirit. And it just makes you want to just tune that out and turn it off. And immediately you lose interest in it. They keep your attention for like uh, uh, maybe... Uh, A quarter of the time and you started listening about 14 minutes after and and so you just tune it out because religion can be boring but let me tell you there is nothing boring about Jesus there's nothing boring about what Jesus did and the new covenant so the question might be asked what's the big deal with this new covenant what makes it so interesting what makes it so engaging well 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, and we celebrated this. This is why I put this first. We celebrated this just a couple weeks ago when we we had communion here. But it says this, this. He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Everybody say new covenant. The new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I put this first because we just did it, but it's a reminder to us that none of this ever, ever started without first the blood. Amen? Listen, Jesus said as often as we do this, Do it in remembrance of me. He gave us this visual. He drew a line in the sand. In other words, he was setting a standard. There was before the cross and there was after the cross. There was before the blood and there was after the blood. And that was a big deal. There was a great divide in humanity. There was a distinction that he was a drawing. And every time that we take communion, every time we participate in that act, It's a reminder, a symbol of what Jesus did for us, recognizing there was a difference between the old and the new. And what Jesus came to establish is the new and and I'm on the side of the new. You are on the side of the new. And so you got to start asking the questions. God, so if I'm on the side of the new, what's the benefits to this new? What's the benefits of this new covenant? That's a question maybe you haven't asked, but maybe you should start asking. God, reveal to me. Show me. Give me clarity of what this new is for me. What are the benefits that I I can partake in under the new covenant? So maybe that's what we're asking this morning. Hebrews chapter 8, I think, gives us probably the best answer, in my opinion, uh, there's probably no greater summation of the new covenant than Hebrews chapter 8. He says this, for if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, and he's talking about the law here, which Moses came down to, from the mountain with. <coughs> he says, if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. So, it would be new. Now, I'm going to say this one more time. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant (laughs) with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. So, it would be new to Israel. But, by the way... For you and for me, it's the only one we get. So if you're a Gentile, this is all you get. This is all I get. And listen, a few years ago, I did the whole ancestry DNA thing, you know. I don't know if any of you did that. For some reason, it just sucked me in, tractor beam, you know. I just wanted to know. I wanted to know, you know. I I asked my parents, I'm like, hey, what am I exactly? And they can tell you, you know, well, your great-grandfather, blah, blah, blah. But much past that, they didn't know. So I did the Ancestry DNA thing, and, man, it is awesome. Well, some of it was not so awesome, but most of it was pretty awesome. I found out that some of my family struck gold in Tennessee, and then there was a big family split. Guess which side I got. (laughs) So that part wasn't so awesome. (laughs) I have some family somewhere that got rich and... And the poor side, we moved to Texas. (laughs) But uh, anyway, but I did my ancestry DNA. And you know what I found out? I have proof that I am a Gentile. It was confirmed that I am a Gentile, okay? And as an English man and as an Irishman, okay, as a person of English and Irish descent, I have been invited to one covenant. One covenant and one covenant only, and that is the new covenant. And as a Gentile, I'm not allowed to flirt with the old covenant because that would be disrespectful to the law. So that was never my covenant. I have one covenant. I was given this new covenant. (laughs) So we're going to call a spade a spade. And I'm going to look at Israel and I'm going to say, Israel, wasn't it awesome that you had this covenant and that you had these promises and you had the prophets and you had the law? Isn't that awesome for you? But I am a Gentile. And there was a time that that wasn't good. Okay. There was a time Romans says that I was without excuse. Ephesians says that I as a Gentile, I was without hope. I, I, I had no chance, no hope, no excuse. I was excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and therefore, I had no covenant. So being a Gentile sounded exciting a while ago, but when you think about it, there was a time where it was not that exciting. And so as an Irishman, and as an Englishman, and whatever you are, fill in the blank, <coughs> I have never been invited to the first covenant. That wasn't a part of my options. So it was new for Israel, but the new covenant is the one and only for us. It's the one and only for you. Now you'll notice something else. He says this in that passage that we just read, that there was a problem. There was a problem with the law keeping. Did you see that? He says, for if there had been... Nothing wrong with the first covenant. So what does that tell you? That tells you, obviously, that there was something wrong, correct? And so we find out what it is in the second sentence. He says, but God found fault with the people. There was a problem. People were having a problem keeping it. There was a fault. He found fault with humanity. He found fault with anyone who was living under the law-keeping system. So there was a system to keep the law. Everyone living under it, he found fault with them. Why? Because it was a rule-based system. And guess what? When you look at the rule-based system, no one could keep it. They were struggling keeping the law. No one could score a perfect 100 on the spiritual SAT. 100 is not a grade. No one could score, what is it, 1,600 or 2,100 or whatever. On the spiritual SAT test. Okay. It just wasn't possible. It was either perfect. Or perfect failure. It was either perfect success. Or perfect failure. And so since that, that was the only two options. They were found guilty. And since they were found guilty. That's why. A new. Everybody say new. A new covenant had to come into play. Now. I hope you see the logic of this, (laughs) because some people will say, all right, so why did God ever even do the law? Have you ever thought about that? Because I have. I've thought about that a few times. I had a conversation with someone just a few weeks ago in my office, and he said this to me. He said, listen, I've been listening, I've been following, I've been trekking along, and I am right there with you, but I don't understand something. And I said, what's that? He said, I don't understand why if God knows everything and he knows the future, then why did he start with the law? Why did he start with the law and then man messed it up and then he goes, whoops, I guess I screwed that up. So I need to bring in grace. And the way I answered this is the way I'm going to answer it to you is that's not what happened, actually. Did you know that's not what happened at all? Did you know We're going to play the did-you-know game. Did you know that the new covenant is actually older than the old covenant? Okay, think about this. The law was brought in for a different reason. So the promise to Abraham was this. It was brought to him first by faith. Everybody say faith. It was brought to him by faith. By faith, Abraham, by faith, by faith. That was the first. That was first and foremost. So how are you going to get right with God, Abraham? By faith. How are you going to stay right with God? By faith. How are you going to live it? By faith. By Moses, and Abraham would go, Moses, Moses who? My point exactly. Moses who? Never heard of him. Because the covenant of grace, by grace you have been saved through faith. That was the real deal. And that was as old as old could be. That was the original covenant that God intended with all the people. It was older and it was given to Abraham as a promise. So then you say, well, then why did God even bother with Moses on the the mountain and the tablets of stone and the 613? Why did that? Listen, the law came in so that sin might increase. Wait a minute. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. That did not make any sense. Maybe I wrote it wrong. Let me read that again. So the law came in so that sin might increase. What? Yeah. See, the law came in so that we, there would be a consciousness of sin, and then that consciousness of sin would make us go, wait, I, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this. I can't live this. I need that Abraham thing. The Abraham thing is the thing that I need because this law-based thing is not it. Consciousness of sin. And you need to remember that when John, he describes sin in the, in the New Testament, every time John talks about sin and describes sin, he says this in, in 1 John. He says, sin it's a transgression of the law. Okay? And you and I have never been under the Mosaic law. So when John describes sin, that's kind of what he says. And to go even further than that, the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. He says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set us free from the sins committed under the first covenant to set us free from the sins committed under the first covenant this is not our covenant this is not a, you know what there's another passage here i want to i'm going to just amuse me here okay tj this is not in my notes so don't worry about it he says for this reason christ is a mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set those free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Listen, here's what it goes on to say. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is enforced only when someone dies. Okay? It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. Okay? Okay? And then it goes on, it says, This is why the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed everything commanded of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water and scarlet wools and branches of hyssop, and he sprinkled the scroll on all the people, and he said, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled the blood of... uh, blood of both the tabernacle and everything used in it, ceremonies. In fact, the law requires, okay, now listen, if you want to trek along, I'm in Hebrews chapter 9, now I'm at verse 21. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. This is the law. This is the rules that Moses brought down. And he says, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness it was necessary then for copies of the heavenly things to be purified with the sacrifices but the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice even than these for christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one He entered into heaven itself and now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again and again and again and again. My Bible only has three agains. I added a couple. The way that the high priest entered into the most holy place again and again and again and again. It says... The way that the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood not of his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all that the end of the ages to do away with the sin by the sacrifice of himself. He did all that, what priests were trying to do and trying to accomplish. He did by sacrificing himself. He died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Listen, do you see that? That's why this Abraham thing was important. I need that Abraham thing because this Moses thing that Moses brought to us, it's hard. It's difficult. Have you ever been in school or anywhere for that matter at work i mean i I run across this all the time and they have you run into a rule or some kind of like you know something that you can or can't do and you're like that didn't even make any sense why can't we do that and you're just like this is ridiculous think about the 613 that was just the basic there were several hundred more uh levitical laws on top of that this was craziness So as long as you think that you can try your hardest and do your best and maybe God's going to grade you on a curve, then you don't need that Abraham. You're doing just great just the way you are. And then Moses comes along and Moses goes, actually, Lakola, you're not doing that great. I can show you 613 different areas of your life where you are a failure, where you are not meeting the mark. And so all of a sudden, this Moses thing comes in, and we go, oh, man, this is difficult. I wish it was back to the Abe thing. I need the Abraham way because the Abraham thing is, is it because the law came in for a different reason. It came in to show us the consciousness of sin so that we would realize that we have to be justified by faith. And that, that's exactly what Father Abraham was talking about the whole time. So the bringing in of the law was not God's first plan. God's first plan all along was faith, 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 faith. And then the law gets here and people get all messed up. But it's not this competition. The law was brought in for a different reason. Everybody say a different reason. It's not a competition. I hear people say this all the time. I love discussions between law versus grace. It's not a law versus grace kind of thing. They're not two equals there is the message which is grace and the law is a side note okay the message the whole message is grace the law is a side note the law is a side note to say hey look at grace (laughs) look you are not good enough look at grace that's the whole purpose of the law it's like You know, those flashing lights going, grace, grace, look at grace, grace, okay? You can't do this over here. Look at grace. He says this. He says, I'm going to make a new covenant, and this new covenant is not going to be like the one (laughs) that I made before. So what was so wrong with that deal? We're going to find out. He says, I will, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. So what was the problem with the first one? They couldn't continue the law. They couldn't do it. They couldn't keep up with the law. No matter how hard they tried, they continued to fail the law Over and over and over and over again. Have you ever felt that way? Like you're just not good enough. You try the church thing for a while and you realize I'm just not good enough. In the season in my life when I actually ran from the whole church thing, it was because every week I found out that I was not good enough. And you just kind of go, man, I guess it's just not for me because I'm a terrible person. So get this, Christians, think about this. How many times do we struggle with, how am I doing? How am I doing? How how am I continuing? Am Am I faithful? Am I consistent? Am I obedient enough? What does God think about me? How have I been doing lately? How? Have I been studying the Bible? Have I been memorizing scripture? Have I, have I witnessed lately? Am I, am I a good example to my kids? Am I a good example to my spouse? Am I a good example at work? And how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? And then what happens is sometimes, and I thought about this at, when I was playing the drums this morning, just watching in our worship, sometimes even our worship becomes driven by this. And I say this with a very... Loving, loving heart. But sometimes we can come into worship and our worship becomes trying to convince God, I'm in love with you. I'm good enough. Accept me. Accept me. Accept me. Maybe your worship doesn't. So you're looking at me like, no, it's not really me. That's how my worship has been many times. God, accept me, accept me, and our worship becomes driven, and all of a sudden, we pull out this spiritual measuring stick to see how good we're doing and, and where we're at on that spiritual scale. Are we continuing or what? But the problem with trying to continue always is that it is a, it is a law-based problem. It's not our problem. It's a law-based problem. We continue because Jesus continued. We continue because even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And so we continue. So do you, do you see that system that's for us? It had to be a different system than the way it was with Moses. Now that should just make you shout right there. Every time you hear that we have a different system than Moses' system, that should just make you excited. thank god because that moses system it was difficult it was tough you wouldn't be able to wear what you're wearing right now you mixed cloth different people i see you mixing your threads and stuff (laughs) no no i don't think so bring me a sacrifice okay listen but that that's the way it was i thank god we don't live under that that system so there had to be a different system brought to us but the problem is in the old system in Moses system they were never dedicated enough they were never sold out enough they were never committed enough now i and this is just my opinion i made this number up totally made this number up i believe probably somewhere in the vicinity of 80% of sermons about christian life conclude this You need to be more dedicated. You need to be more. You need to continue more. You need to be more obedient. You need to be more consistent. You need to be more thorough. You need to love more. You need to be more. You need to do more. And then come back next week, and I'm going to give you a whole new set of mores that you need to do. And so you come back next week, and I give you a whole new set of mores that you need to do. More, more, more. And, Terry, I make you feel guilty, and you got to come back next week. And then by week eight, you go, man, I don't want to go back. I just always just feel I'm never good enough, and I just want to get out of this thing. But i got to stay saved. And so if I'm going to stay saved, then I need to keep going back, even though I hate going back. And you just keep going through this vicious cycle. And the reason is because you're getting beat up by a you better continue gospel. That's a law-based message. And it was taken care of in the new covenant. The continue problem is old. And the solution now is Jesus. And Jesus is locked in on you. And you are locked in on Jesus. He says this. For for this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in into their minds, and I will write them onto their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Did you notice that this is not a, a have to? It's not a you better be my people kind of thing. It's not a you better stay hot. You better stay right. You better turn or burn, baby. I just like saying that because I feel like a 1984 evangelist. Alright, you gotta stay in, you gotta get both feet in and not both feet out. You can't have one in and one out, you know. You are lukewarm guy gonna vomit you out of my mouth out of his mouth and all that, you know. Listen, you better be, you better stay, you better do, you better look, and this is but this is how the new covenant is rigged. It's rigged really awesome. He says, They will be my people. They will be my people. I'm going to make sure that they're my people and I'm going to make sure that they stay my people because it's not about their strength. It's about my strength. It's not about their consistency. It's about my consistency. It's not about their obedience. It's about my obedience. It's not about what have they done for me, but it's what I have done for them. See, under the new system, it's rigged that it's not about you. It's about him and what he's done and he's going to download his desires into our minds and into our hearts and they those desires become what we want when we fully know god we want to fully live for god what was the problem with israelites then see they kind of knew because they were able to read and or they were able to at least have it spoken to them they kind of had some sense of Uh, But they just didn't want it, you know. There was a struggle. They couldn't continue. They knew, but they just didn't want it. And God says, you know what? I'm going to fix this under the new covenant. I'm going to fix this under grace. I'm going to make them a new creation. That's why it's absolute foolishness when we start small, when we start with the idea that maybe, maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe my heart is hardened, and, and you've probably been told that in church. I remember as a youth pastor, I said that all the time. Listen, some of you young people, I mean, my youth group was exploding. It was because I had them scared to death. And I, maybe I was cool. I don't know. Maybe that's part of the reason I, I just say it. But listen, I, w- I would tell them often that your hearts are hard, and you need to have your hearts softened. And the other day, I was flipping through channels, and, and sometimes I, I'll hear the t- these TV guys that their services are on TV, and I found one that was here in Houston. I listened to him for a second, and this is why I wrote this in my message, because he got me thinking. He said, the problem is right now is your heart is hard. When he said that, I thought, hmm, you "No, know, I've said that. I've said that a lot, actually. I've said that to a lot of people. So how do I know when my heart is soft? So is there like a formula is there like a, you know, click, you finally hit the button and it and goes, your heart has now been softened. Do, is it a 12-hour grace period of, of hard and hard or whatever is it? You come to church and you sing the right song and now your heart is soft and then you go outside and you realize somebody backed into your car and now your heart is hard and you need to go back in church and you wish that we had a Wednesday night service so you could get midweek so that your heart could be soft by Wednesday. And then you go back to work and your boss just really ticks you off. And now your heart is hard again. But that's, so you're, you're hard and then your heart is soft. And then your heart is hard and then your heart is soft. And you're just trying to make it to Sunday so that your heart can be soft again. You're trying to figure out what this formula is. But don't you see that that's kind of a death trap? It's kind of a bottomless pit of self-improvement. And that's not really the truth. The truth is this, that under the new covenant, God gave you a brand new heart. Did you know that? You are a new creation. One version, one passage says, you're a new creature. He created you. And when he did that, he gave you a brand new heart. And your heart is soft. Now, you can have a hardened attitude Towards things you can dig your heels in the ground and go I am not going to forgive this person They hurt me too bad. They did this and they did that Uh, But then what happens most of the time Especially those of you who have been around the kingdom and understand when you're angry and you dig your heels in And you have a hardened attitude all of a sudden Something tugs on the inside of you and your heart goes really is that the way you want to be? Is that the trap you want to live in for the next five years or for the next ten years? That's not you. And something on the inside starts turning. And it's because your heart wasn't hard. You have a new heart. You have a new heart that God has given you. And our hearts are softened to the grace of God. Romans says that we have been given obedient hearts. So. I'm giving you all all these new things. In Hebrews chapter 11. Or chapter 8, verse 11. I'm kind of going through this Hebrews chapter 8. says this. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord. Because they will all know me. (laughs) From the least of them to the greatest of them. They're going to all know me. I love that. I love that. That that from the four-year-old who comes unto the knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is to the 100-year-old who's been a Bible scholar for 70 of those years and has all the knowledge in the world. There's no difference between the two. They will all know me. They'll all know me. It's not this knowledge-based thing. They will all know me because there's an intuitiveness that has been inserted inside of you. It has been spirit-planted. It's a spirit-planted and spirit-guided intuitiveness And it is on the inside of you. And on the inside of you, you know at the very core that God is good. That God is a good God. You know on the inside of you there's this intuitiveness that Jesus died on the cross and that Jesus accomplished a ton of things. And you know that he accomplished so much and it can't be undone. It can't be broken. I can't mess it up. I can't fool with it and I can't ruin it. And we know that intuitively on the inside. There's something that's been birthed and given to us on the inside. Hebrews 8, verse 12, it says this. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So we know how John kind of identifies sins. So what does that mean, you know, that all of our sins are forgiven, all the things that we've done? Eh, Not necessarily. What it means is all the things that you've done are forgiven, and, and then he's gone ahead of you and forgiven the things before you. So he's forgiven your future thing. And see, a lot of people don't like to To hear that, especially in church, I didn't like to hear that. That means that by one sacrifice, this is what Hebrews 10, 14 says. By one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That means once for all forgiveness. This is another area I think a lot of times where as religious people, sometimes the religious world... We can kind of shortchange the gospel of who Christ is and what Jesus did for us. Because we want to say things like, I am totally forgiven. God has forgiven me of everything, past, present, and future. And then we have people come back and they rebuttals. They say, well, you say that just because you want to sin. Are we speaking the same language? Because that's not what I said at all. I'm saying that I believe what Jesus did for me. He has forgiven me. And that's not a license to sin. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not speaking French. I'm not speaking Russian. I don't know why you don't understand. This is not a license to sin. When I fully understand what Jesus did for me, then my desires are to fully embrace the kingdom of God and manifest the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, joy, and Holy Spirit, right now as eternity starts right now to bring as, as it is in heaven right here on this earth. That's my job. And when I fully understand that, I embrace it and I begin to live it and I begin to produce that out of my life. So, I'm going to keep talking. New heart, new spirit, bonded to Christ, new connection, new desires, dead to sin, alive to God, obedient heart. Okay, okay, okay. That's just a bunch of Bible talk, right? Well, so is forgiveness. So, what if. What if we begin to take the gospel, the good story, the good news, the truth, and we begin to preach the gospel, the good story, instead of our focus being to beat up Christians with a bunch of stuff about wicked hearts and nonsense, which is completely unmotivating and uninspiring, and then you have these Christians in the corner laid up, groveling, and then we call that humility. Well, they're just being humbled. What if we really showed the the good news, the gospel. I'm reading a couple books right now that just, man, just lighting me up, understanding how I have just, for years, I really have just pounded Christians, pounded Christians. And and I wonder how they even made it through some of the stuff that I put them through. And so what if we just really held on to the gospel, what Jesus' message was? We'll see... A true approach to God is with boldness. It says this in Hebrews 8, 13, continuing on in, in this chapter. By calling this covenant new, he's made the first one obsolete. What is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. So I guess the question for you this morning and the question for me this morning is are we Willing, and are we ready to see the old ways disappear? The old things disappear? Are you ready to give up uh, on the way of earning and achieving and trying to strive to be better and instead start investing in the truth of who Jesus is and the knowledge of what Jesus brought? Are you ready to maybe have this moment of clarity and understand Jesus in a brand new light? Hebrews puts it this way. A new way of living for us that is brought in through his body. A, new, a brand new way of living that is brought in from his body. How many of you remember dial up? You remember dial up? Do any of you know what dial up is? You younger people? younger, Google it. <laughs> Google it. I remember dial up. In fact... Um, this was probably before it was before cell phones. Really, there were a couple. You know, you could get the bag phone and stuff. But do y'all remember dial up when you had to like tell somebody get off the phone. I need to get on the internet because if they were on the phone, you couldn't dial up. And then you go to the computer and you hit connect or whatever the button was. I don't even remember what it was back then. Uh, uh, launch, and all of a sudden you'd hear. <coughs> You walk away and you make a sandwich or whatever, <laughs> you change channels, change the music, set the temperature, you walk back up and you're connected about 10 minutes later. Y'all remember that? Dial-up, dial-up, I remember that. You were plugged in to this modem and and uh, it was made by probably U.S. Robotics because they were kind of dominant back then. But you plug it up, you click it, and then it makes all those... And it sounds like it's going to hock a loogie on your keyboard, right? It just starts making all these... All these... What, you have it? <laughs> don't do it. Lisa's like, please don't. And it makes all these noises. And then finally, you're connected. You're connected. Now listen, I don't know if you realize, but I thank God that's not the case anymore. I thank God we don't have... Okay, this is way off the. Well, it's not way off the subject. I gotta tell y'all a story. I apologize because I know this is not even holy. <laughs> so I was a youth pastor in Wichita Falls, and our secretary, her office, I could see her desk from my desk. My door was open, and we had this guy. Uh, I'll just use his first name in case he ever sees this. And his name was Steve, and Steve was a truck driver, and he talked kind of like a little like a boomhauer here. I'd say, hey, Steve, how you doing? He's like, oh, just burn a black dog down there, just burn a black dog No, 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 no. And you could barely understand what he's saying. He's a super nice guy. And one day he walked in, and I'm standing there talking to Paula, our secretary, and Steve walks in. He goes, hey, Ms. Paula, I brought you a Christmas present. She says, you did what? He's like, I brought your a Christmas present. She said, you brought me a Christmas present? He goes, yeah, I brought you a Christmas present. And he sets his bag down, and she pulls it out, and it is uh, 100 hours of AOL free one. Y'all remember back in the day where you, at Walmart, they just had them sitting there. You just grab them. They were free. You could take as many <laughs> as you want. They were just free. He brought that to her as a Christmas gift. I thought that was hilarious. So we're laughing, and she says this. I'm not lying. If I'm lying, I'm frying. Oh. She says this. She goes, Steve, you didn't have to do that. She says, I have internet here. She says, Steve, you need to keep that for yourself. And he goes, well, what am I going to do with it? I ain't got a VCR. Y'all don't get it. I know. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care who you are. That is funny. Lord, I apologize. Anyway. <laughs> I ain't got a VCR. <laughs> I just thought. I mean, I laughed for. It's been 20 years. I'm still laughing. It's been 20 years since that happened. I'm still laughing. It was just the greatest thing ever. But Listen. We, we had that dial-up, and it was terrible, but I am so glad we no longer have dial-up. We have 5G, right? 5G, that's fast. I mean, that is so fast. 5G, that is legit connectedness right there. I mean, and think about this. So what the author of Hebrews was saying is that there was a way that they approached God, and it was basically approaching God kind of like this. There was the holy of holies. And you kind of, you had this priest that acted kind of like your modem. And he would go in, and if everything was right, the rumor was, if everything was right, that he would go in and be able to come back out. But if he went in and he wasn't clean, then he would drop dead, and you have to drag him out by the Ethernet cable. Okay? And and that's kind of the way it was. Listen, that's the old way of connectedness. That's how they connected to God. There was a process. They had to go through a priest, and it took time. You just didn't have access. The common folk didn't have access. But that was the old way. Priests entering into a tent hoping that they did a good job representing you and me. And then all of a sudden, 5G comes along. 5 Jesus. Just made that up. 5 Jesus. 5 Jesus comes along. And when he does that, there's a whole new way of connectivity. There's a whole new way of connectedness, a brand new way of living that surpasses anything before it. We have been given a brand new identity. Second Corinthians 517 says, if anyone is in Christ, everybody that's in Christ, raise your hand. Come on, everybody raise your hand. There we go. If anyone is in Christ, it says this, the old, everybody say old, the old things passed away. Behold, what? Awe. All things, everything, behold, new things have come. New life. That's a brand new life. Romans 6 says this in, in the Amplified Version. I love the way it writes this. Uh, chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Therefore, we therefore have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the holy, uh, through the glory and power of the Father, we too might walk habitually in newness of life, abandoning the old way. So there's a connectedness between me and God. And when I have this connectedness, it makes me want to do away with the old things, the old way. And it makes me want to live my life worthy. Even though he's already told you you're worthy, now we want to produce that. It drives us to live and to walk in his light. A newness, a new walk, a new way, a new way to think, a new way to act, a new connectedness with Jesus. It's not progressively trying to get better, but we wake up every day and it's on. You are righteous. We say this all the time. You are the righteousness of God, right? It's either on, you either are or you're on. It's like a light switch. There's no, it's no halfway. You're either on or you're not. And you are, you have been made the righteousness of God. That's hard for some of us to fathom. And and the biggest struggle that we have as Christians, as people, is right here. Our mind, we struggle because we don't see ourselves the way he sees ourselves. But when Jesus died on the cross, God now can only view you through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So when he sees you, he can only see you through the sacrifice that's been made on your behalf. Isn't that powerful? So when he sees you, he sees you as incredibly awesome and full of righteousness. You have been perfected. See, in the old covenant, they would bring their sacrifices. And and once that sacrifice had been approved, the sins of the the people were forgiven. So Jesus says, I'm going to take the place of that sacrifice because the priest never examined the sinner. Okay? Okay. I'm just going to hit this real fast. The priest never examined the sinner in the Old Covenant. The priest only examined the sacrifice. Firstborn, spotless, right? Only examined the sacrifice. Okay? He never looked at you. He never said, "Mm, man, I know what you've been doing. He only looked at the sacrifice. And that sacrifice was good enough for a whole year of forgiveness. That little bat. (laughs) One year. That sacrifice was good enough for one year. But yet Jesus wasn't, or was he good enough? Huh? Do you hear me this morning? So the priest only saw the sin through the sacrifice. Your forgiveness came through the sacrifice. Then Jesus came and he said, I am going to be the only sacrifice once and for all sin. And God now can only view you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see you anything other than righteous. He sees you as so awesome and so beautiful and so perfect and so great and so glorious. He's made you a joint heir with Jesus. That's how he sees you. And so thank God he doesn't see me through all my sins. God doesn't judge me based on me. He judges me based on my sacrifice. And my sacrifice was awesome. It was perfect. It was great. I'm getting off. A new commandment. He gave us a new commandment, a new way to walk, new connectedness, all this new stuff, a new heart. And then he gave us a new commandment, okay? He says this in in John 13, uh, 34, and I'm going to give you the amplified version. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. He's talking to his disciples right before he leaves. He's like, listen, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another. When you love one another uh, the way that I loved you, you are two to love one another. That's imprinted right here. Okay, so when we we were talking about a heart earlier, when we're talking about the new heart, what is printed on our new heart is this. This, this is imprinted. It is tattooed on our heart that we love one another. That's what we talk about in in new obedience and and a soft heart. That's what's in our heart is a love for people. It's in there. John goes on, he writes this in 2 John chapter number 1 verse 5 he says now i ask you not as if we were writing to you a new commandment but simply reminding you of the one which we've had since the beginning that we love unselfishly and seek the best for one another he says i'm not giving you anything new i'm reminding you of what we've been we've had this from the beginning that we just love and we seek the best. It's not a 613 laws plus a couple. It's not a 10 minus 1 deleting the Sabbath day. It's not 10 minus 1 deleting Sabbath day plus tithing. So I add another one back to it. It's not that. He says a new command I give and it's love. It's love. All we need is love. That's it. Just love. Love, love, love. But the problem is, is we have a hard time with the love part because we don't feel like we're loved. And until we truly understand his love towards us, it's hard to duplicate that to anyone else. And so we need to get on our knees and we need to get to a place of knowledge and understanding. We need to start asking the right questions and figure out how much God loves us. And you should know that if you come to church. He's so crazy madly in love with you. If you were picking roses, it's not he loves me, he loves me not. It's like, he loves me, he loves me more, he loves me even more, he loves me even more, right? I know that sounds silly, but I'm dead serious. And tomorrow when you wake up, what, he loves me even more? And then the next day, and the next, his love for you is never ending and it's growing and it's so powerful. We need to learn to soak in it and bask in it because when we learn his love for us, then the person that cut us off, it's a lot easier to not flip them off because there's this love that starts to emulate and it starts to reflect and then that whole sin problem that everybody thinks that we have begins to disappear. There's this love inside of us. And perfect love wants to love people. It doesn't want to hurt people. It doesn't want to offend people. It doesn't want to stab people. It doesn't want to kill people. It doesn't want to... So the Ten Commandments are unnecessary. Love. When we do that, everything else begins to fall into place. So I'm going to ask you to be selfish this year, okay? And I'm going to close, Jay, if you'll come up here with me. I'm going to ask you to be selfish this year. And I'm going to ask you to, you know, tongue-in-cheek in a roundabout way, I'm going to ask you to begin to pray for yourself this year that you would have a clarity and understanding like you've never, ever had before about this. The width, the depth, and the height, Of his love for you. That's my prayer for you this year. Is that we will have a clarity of that. Because let me tell you something. If that revelation begins to just kind of sweep through this body. Oh my Lord Jesus. You want to talk about crazy things beginning to happen. You want to talk about breakthrough, but the the thing, the, the ceiling for our church, the ceiling for you as a Christian, the ceiling for your marriage, is you have not yet broke through how much God loves you. And when we break through that, man, everything changes. Pray for the congregation, this congregation. Pray for me. Pray for Pastor Kevin. Pray for the leaders of this church. I know that's really not selfish. Kind of throwing that out there. But pray for you that you'll find his love in a big way. We can quote John 3.16 about how God so loved the world until we're blue in the face. But quoting verses on how much God loves is useless unless we believe and have experienced how much God loves us. You know, I'm flattered this morning because he's crazy about me. He is so proud of me. Despite me, I do some dumb things. I have made some dumb mistakes. And this morning, he's watching me right now and he's just beaming. He's so in love with me. He's so in love with you the last thing is a new way to serve. Romans puts it this way it says and I'm going to finish with this says serve in the newness of the spirit. Another, ser- another way in other words, we're released from the law because it says this. we serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. We don't serve because we're made to serve, because it's law. And if you don't do this this way, then you're in big trouble. We serve people because he served. He didn't come to serve. I mean, didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. He didn't come to, to set up his kingdom and his throne and go, ha, ha, ha I am Jesus. I have ascended from heaven I have descended from heaven and I I am here come and touch me serve me bring me grapes it's not what he did he came and he never leveraged his power he never leveraged up he just came to serve people so today we saw a lot of new stuff we saw a new commandment we saw many new things a new covenant a new way to approach God we saw five Jesus Jesus Okay? We, have, we saw a new identity, a new heart, a new life, a new commandment, a new way to serve, a brand new perspective, and a whole new clarity. What I'm trying to get is when we when we see Jesus the way he intended us to see Jesus, everything changes. I know this is a new year, and a lot of times, maybe around December 30th, 31st, you make a lot of promises uh, for the new year, you know. You say things like "I'm going to stay away from Oreos," or you make a, a covenant with caramel or whatever, and, and you say, And right about now, let's see, it's the 19th, so most of you have now broken those commitments anyway. But here's the thing: this commitment that I'm talking to you about is not about your commitment and your ability to keep it. But it's his commitment and his ability to keep it. His promise to us. Okay? It's it's not about New Year's resolutions, but it's about a new revolution. It's about a grace revolution, a new clarity on who God is, and who God has called us to be. And Jesus is enough. Come on, say that with me. Jesus is enough. So my prayer for you this year is that you would enjoy and celebrate a clarity like you've never had. Amen. Come on, will you bow your head and close your eyes all across this place this morning. Father, I thank you so much for the newness of life. God, we thank you for connectedness. And I thank you that you succeeded. God, you succeeded and the blood of Jesus and the resurrection. were completely successful. And we drink that in this morning and we say, yes, God, we recognize that Christ is our life, that he's the center point. He's the focal point. He's the cornerstone of our life and that we are perfect. We're not perfectly behaved, but we are perfectly connected. We are perfectly forgiven. We are perfectly righteous and we in humility, but also in reality, we say it's gotta be this way. It's got to be you, Jesus, and what you did, not how good or what I'm doing. And so we thank you for this. We thank you for this. In your precious son's name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise this morning.